Our text for today, again, is Mark chapter 1. We're going to really be looking in, focusing in on one verse in particular. When Jesus spoke these words, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. My family and I moved out here from Highlands Ranch into Centennial to be close to all of you, to be close to this community about eight years ago. And ever since then, I've been going to the same gym. And over the years, I've got to know the employees, the trainers, the owner of the gym. And one particular day, it was a Sunday morning, just like this, I walked into the gym and I saw something that I had never seen before. It was one of the workers, we'll we'll call her Jenny, Typically, Jenny wore long sleeve shirts, but this day she had short sleeve shirts on. She was going to be training somebody and revealed to me that she actually had two full sleeves of tattoos up and down her arm, very bright, colorful tattoos. She'd invested a lot of time and a lot of money, but what really struck me about the tattoos is that they all had spiritual messaging. There was a picture of Jesus on the cross on one arm and the empty tomb on the other. She had Psalm 23 on one arm. In the other arm, she had a depiction of her baptism. She was coming out of the water, and the Holy Spirit was coming down like a dove, like we looked at last week, the baptism of Jesus. And Jenny was very shy. I didn't know her very well like the other workers. She, oftentimes, we would have very, you know, superficial conversations. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. Enjoy your workout. Thanks. You know, those kind of talks. But today, I had to engage in conversation. I had to ask her about these tattoos Because as a pastor, number one, but number two, as the director of missional living, if you look over here on the wall, for those of you who are here, it says live God's mission. This is one of our strategic environments. My job, the reason you've called me here to this congregation is to equip us, to help us by the Holy Spirit's help, not only use our money for the kingdom of God, not only use our time, our energy, the gifts God's given us going on mission trips and service projects, doing things in our own neighborhood, but also to verbally share faith. How do we do that? And so even though I know Jenny doesn't really want to talk to me, I engage in conversation. I say, Jenny, I didn't know you had tattoos. Those are really cool tattoos. And she says, thanks. (laughs) Gonna have to dig deep on this one, folks. So I look quickly at her arm and I say, okay, here's a way I'm going to get down this conversation. I say, what is that tattoo over here? The one with that that rock and that empty, what what is that? I'm kind of playing dumb. And she says, oh, that's just something that's important to me. And I try one more time. I ask her about Psalm 23, and she says something. I don't remember what, but she promptly opens up the magazine that she was looking at when I came in, which for those of you who are not fluent in nonverbal communication, that means go away. (laughs) So I go into the gym And I got to be honest, I was disappointed. I was a little bit saddened because I had teed up to her, believing that she was a Christian. I teed up to her the biggest gospel softball you could ever pitch, slow and fat. And all she had to do was swing. But instead of even swinging, it's like she grabbed the softball out of the air and threw it back to the backstop. I'm not doing this. But as I think about that, I think about my own life. Maybe you can join me in this. How many times have I missed an opportunity? How many times have I not had the courage to talk about Jesus or to share my faith? How many times have I, when talking to somebody, I go, oh man, this person is so smart. They're way intellectually superior to me. There's no way I could possibly convince them of anything and I I didn't go down that path. Or maybe you've had experience like this when you're talking with somebody, a coworker, a neighbor. You go back home, you go inside your house and you go, oh my goodness, 
God just gave me the biggest, fattest softball of my gospel life, and I didn't even take a swing at it. Can anybody relate to this? Well, today we're going to be looking at this text, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and we can see here that clearly the message of Jesus was appealing to these first disciples. He says, come and follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Whatever that meant, they followed him. And if we keep reading through Mark and Luke and the Gospel of John, we can see that the disciples took it very seriously. Everywhere they went, they pointed to Jesus. They talked about Jesus. And when Jesus dies and raises from the dead, goes to heaven, you can read in the book of Acts, they go out and they literally bring the gospel all over the world. And our task for us today then is how do we do that in our own context? What does it look like for us to be fishers of men in 2021 in the culture in which we live? And to understand that, to get a glimpse of that, we have to first stop and take some time and unpack this very critical, very important verse Chapter 1, verse 15. Let me read it again. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, the first thing we have to do when we're looking at this verse, there's some words here, two in particular, that really don't translate all that well in our culture. And the first one is the word here for time. There's a couple of different ways in Greek and Roman culture that they would use to express this notion of time. One of them is a Greek word chronos. That's a 24-hour day, chronological time. Jesus doesn't use that word here. He's not saying at 6 p.m. on January 24th, the kingdom of God is at hand. He doesn't say that. Instead, he uses a Greek word kairos, which is a little bit difficult for us to understand because we don't use it in our culture, but it can be best described as this. Kairos time is really the perfect time, the exact right moment in time. And when he says the kairos is fulfilled, the time is fulfilled, it would have meant to the original hearers, in this case, Andrew, Simon, Peter, James, and John, they would have understand Jesus saying the kairos is fulfilled, the time is fulfilled as this, that Jesus is making a very bold, crazy claim. He's saying that all the promises of the Old Testament Every hope in the Old Testament, every prophecy of the Old Testament is pointing to this exact moment in time, and I am it. The kingdom of God is, not, is no longer in heaven. It's no longer a place. It's right here with you. I'm standing in front of you. I am the kingdom of God. It's here for you. You can see it. You can touch it. And what that meant, practically speaking, as the disciples and Jesus went about their ministry for about three years from this point on, that every place that Jesus went, every town, every village, the kingdom of God went with it. And every miracle that Jesus did, think about the miracles, feeding the 5,000, raising the dead, healing the blind, the sick, the mute, the kingdom of God was there. And every word that Jesus spoke, repent and believe, and every word after it, there was the kingdom of God breaking through. It was near enough. It was at hand. It was tangible. You could see it and you could experience. Now, an obvious question for us today then should be, is the same thing true for us? You know, that was Jesus. That was the disciples. They were walking with him, talking with him. Do we also get to experience the nearness of the kingdom of God? Does it come through that clearly to us? Well, to understand that, let's look at the next part of this verse of verse 15. Another word we got to unpack is repent. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. 
Well, repent is something that in our culture, in our context, I think we often think of groveling, being super, super sorry, feeling really bad about our sin. And part of that is true. Part of that is, is captured in this word. But this is another Greek word, metanoia. And metanoia was something like this. When you sinned and you realized your sin, you would then turn your back on your sin, metaphorically speaking, and turn towards transformation. Turn your back on your sin, but turn towards transformation. This was a holistic, whole cleansing of this sin that was weighing you down. It was asking God for forgiveness, yes, but then it was going to work and and doing something about the nature of your sin in the first place. So let's put this in context so we can understand. Let's say that sometime this week, those of you who are at work, our kids who are hybrid and they're online school half the time, Let's say that there's a kid in your class, there's a coworker at your office that you just can't stand. They're annoying. They always leave their mic on. They're always talking too much. They're the person, they're the teacher's pet, they're the boss's pet. You really can't stand them. And so you get distracted from your meeting, you get distracted from science class, you open up your chat bar and you're talking to a friend and you share some juicy gossip that you heard about this person. But then that gossip gets out and it hurts that student. It hurts that coworker of yours. Their reputation is damaged. And then you're reading in Scripture, you read like, for example, 1 Corinthians, where Paul actually says that gossip is as damaging of a sin as adultery, as murder, and the list goes on. And what happens then when we're convicted of our sin? Have you had this experience? We, we experience guilt and shame. We're kind of cut to the heart. God's pointing out that, no, this is a sin. And, and you can almost feel the effects of sin, can't you? Repentance, in the context of this verse, would look like this for you. You would first go and ask God for forgiveness, yes. Then you would go to your coworker, to your fellow student. You would ask them for forgiveness, but it wouldn't stop there. Then you'd send like a mass Instagram message to everybody at your school, a mass memo to everybody at your office, and you would admit, no, what happened was my fault. I said that it's not true. You'd try to restore that person's reputation, and then it's not done. You'd search the scriptures, You'd spend time in God with prayer and try to root out what's actually causing you to gossip in the first place. It's holistic, full-on transformation. That's what Jesus is saying here, repent. And as I think about that word, and as I think about the culture in which we live, 2021, we live in America, Denver, Colorado, here's what I've noticed this last year. We as a culture have become experts in asking other people to repent. I would even suggest that it's gone so bad in our country that repentance is almost like a religion. It's like a demigod for us in our country. And let me show you what I mean. I was driving home the other day thinking about this sermon, and I saw this sign. And you've probably seen a sign like this. Maybe you have a sign like this in your front yard. It's okay. It's a good sign. But let's unpack what's happening here. The people who put this sign out, they notice that people are speeding down the driveway, maybe, or their their, uh, street. They have little kids. They want to protect not only their little kids, they want to protect all little kids in the neighborhood. What they've done in that moment is they've repented of any time they have sped. And now they're looking out at you when you drive by. They want you to repent, to be transformed, to no longer speed to keep people's life in danger. That's just one example. Then I turned the corner and I saw a sign like this. You've probably seen a sign like this before this last year. I'm not gonna get into all the things that people 
are talking about hating. There's a lot of different, probably this means different things for any person who puts this sign in your front yard. Ignore all that, but let's focus on what the sign is communicating. This person is saying that on some level, somehow they've been able to eradicate all the hate out of their heart. And hate no longer has a place in their home. And as you drive by, as you walk by, and you're taking the dog for a walk, the kids, they now are asking you to repent. Repent. Get rid of the hate in your own heart. Be transformed, you see. And then one more sign. It was actually an email that I received this week from a hiking company. And on the top, it says, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. It's at the heart of being true to the trail. And then the email says that as a company, they've done some soul searching in 2020, and they realized that they weren't being uh, fully full on justice. They weren't being equitable. They weren't very diverse. They weren't feeling very inclusive. And they are saying in this email, they've repented of that. And it goes on and it asks you as the consumer to also repent of these sins of our culture. Now here's the deal. Many of these things are biblical. Many of these things are good. And many of these things are stuff that we should think about in our own heart. But here, and if you're a new Christian here today, if you're seeking out Christianity, you're not sure what you believe, I gotta share this with you because this is really where Christianity begins to make a very divergent path to transformation from the rest of our culture. We go in completely opposite directions. What our culture says, the key to transformation is to dig deep inside, is to find the hope and the strength within your heart to motivate yourself to change, to be a completely different person by doing certain things. And my friends, that's actually the definition of religion. That's what religion teaches, that you can find it within yourself. If you do, if you check off the list, if you say the things you're supposed to say, then you're gonna be accepted and loved. But Christianity is different. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, repent and. Repent and believe the gospel. What Christianity teaches, this is so crucial that we understand this, is that we need to lean on something outside of ourselves. That we can barely stand under the weight of our own heart, our own sin. That we need a love outside of ourselves. We need forgiveness and mercy outside of ourselves. We're so desperate, we just lean on the gospel, the love of Jesus. That's what's going to transform us, you see. Which is why, of course, we see so much tension, not only in our politics. Maybe you've had tension at work. Maybe you have tension as you drive by and you see a sign. There's so much tension because the way the world sees transformation is so radically different from the way Scripture, from the way Jesus shows us transformation is possible. He says, repent and believe the gospel. What's the gospel? Where can we experience the kingdom of God right now in this moment? Well, let's start with your baptism. Those of you who have been baptized, the very first time you met Jesus face to face, the very first time you experienced the nearness of God, the kingdom of God broke through in your life, it wasn't that God was passive on the outside just looking in. No, he was very active. The Father looked down at you, and as the waters came over your head or over your body, God said, you are mine. And as the waters of baptism came into you, Jesus said to you, I forgive you. Welcome to my kingdom. And as the Holy Spirit took residence in your heart, it's a promise of the daily reminder of the nearness of God, breaking through, convicting you, encouraging you, showing you the path to true love. 
And in a few minutes, those of you who are here today, we get to come to the Lord's table. And someday those at home, you'll get to experience this as well. But think about the nearness of God in that moment. Christ's very body and blood, his presence, you can hold it. You can taste it. That's the kingdom of God breaking through in your life, reminding you that the kingdom is here. It's now, it's for you. And wherever you've messed up this week, where you have had hatred in your heart, where you haven't been very loving to people, where you've said things that you regret to your spouse, to your kids, to a coworker, God meets you in that moment. He transforms your heart by forgiveness. The outside love of God. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus says believe in because that's going to actually transform you. So what do we do? We live in a culture that does have tension. We know so many people who mean well. What they really want is the kingdom of God to come near to them, but they're going about it in such a different way. How do we respond to them? How do we point them to Jesus, the gospel? Well, we're going to look at one more verse here in just a second. But before I do, if you're interested in how the first disciples came to be. You can read the stories in Mark and Matthew and Luke. They all talk about these first four disciples and they shed new light. Each person has a slightly different detail to share. But I don't think that's actually the best place to look today. I find this incredibly intimidating, actually. Because notice what the disciples did. James and John, they left behind their inheritance. They left dad on the fishing boat. That's never good. Peter and Andrew, they gave up their livelihood. They quit their jobs. That seems pretty extreme. And sometimes we look at that and we go, I I can't be that type of Christian. I, I don't have that kind of faith. But God gave us Nathaniel. Open up your Bibles if you brought them here to John chapter one. John is the only one that tells us about how Nathaniel and Philip became Christians. And listen to this. I mean, followers, sorry. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is what I was talking about earlier, the fulfillment of time. This is a kairos moment for him. And Nathanael said, listen to his response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I love his response. I'm so grateful for his response. First of all, he shows a little bit of a lack of faith. He's doubting. But really, is this not our biggest fear when we start talking to people about Jesus, a response like this? What good can come from Nazareth in our context today? What good could possibly come from Christianity? Have you met Christians? They're bigoted. They're they're hateful. They're Bible thumpers. These are all things people have said to me, by the way, talking about Christianity. What good could possibly come from becoming a Christian? And then look at Philip's response. Three words. This is the best evangelistic evangelism class we can ever have. It's just three words, easy to remember. Come and see. Notice that Philip doesn't try to argue the finer points of theology with Nathaniel. He doesn't point out all the ways in which Nathaniel is wrong and off base and off kilter. He doesn't say to Nathaniel, in this case, repent. Instead, all he does is invite him to come see Jesus. Come and see. And you see, that today is our task as well. This is all God asks us to do. This is how we can partner in the gospel work of Christ, how we can bring the kingdom to our neighbors and our friends and our community workers, our friends at school, 
All we have to do is say, come and see. If somebody you know is concerned about diversity, point them to the one who is the creator of diversity itself. The Bible says God created them male and female. God created them white and black and every color in between. And look at the diversity of creation. We've got mountains in our state. You go a little bit further, you've got fertile farmland. You've got diversity in the sea creatures and the land mammals. God is incredibly diverse. Point them to the one who created diversity. And if somebody's concerned about equality, we can point them to the one who gave up his equal footing with God so that he could be equal with us. He became one of us, and now he's more relatable. He's within reach. We can reach out almost and touch him, and in doing so, by seeing Jesus as a true God, but also a true man, you see, we can learn from him what real love is, what true love is. If you know somebody who's concerned about injustice, point them to the one who experienced extreme injustice so that we could be justified, so that we could be freed of our anxiety and depression and guilt and shame and all the things that come with living in a sinful world where we're constantly beating each other up and people are constantly pointing at us to beat us up, to be changed in our character. If you're overwhelmed by that, look to the one who experienced injustice so that you could be justified, freed from those things. Well, my friend Jenny, who I talked about at the gym at the beginning of the message, I hadn't seen her for about three weeks after we had that initial tattoo conversation or really lack thereof. But one day I walk into the gym and this time she did something that really I had never seen her do before. She smiled at me. And as I got closer to swipe my card, she pulled up the sleeve of her shirt and she says, I got a new tattoo. And as I looked at it, wouldn't you know, it was a mountain with the words from Isaiah 52 that we read to begin our time of reading today, blessed are those feet who bring good news. And I smiled back and I said, Jenny, you don't know this about me, but I'm actually a pastor at a church just right down the road, and my prayer is that everybody in our congregation would go out and get that tattoo so that they could point people to the real good news like you just pointed out to me. And you know what I did? I walked into the gym, and I repented. Lord, forgive me for my lack of faith. Forgive me for the judgment that I placed on that young lady. Forgive me. And I believe the gospel, that Jesus was right there with me and Jenny in that moment, overwhelming us with grace and mercy and truth and love and I went about my day may we be the type of people today January 24th 2021 that simply point to Jesus and say come and see in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen